So we're back. Yes. Okay. Things are looking much better. We're back. Um, I thought I had some technical difficulties. I, I, I was, um, yeah, I can't say I was depressed, but I was saddened. I thought, man, I invested some money in this uh, technology, and now, now I have to buy another, you know, piece of technology because it failed me. But no, we're back. We're back. All right. So there haven't been no technical uh, problems. Well, I had to, I had to switch the uh, the cable. I had to. I bought a new cable which I don't even think I needed to buy a new cable. Um, the the cable was bent. There, not the cable, but the, the the input, the gender, it was bent. And I, I'm anal about stuff like that. So I was like, nah, we're going to make sure that we're, we're not messing with any uh, damaged, you know, inputs or damaged wires or whatever. So things are back. Things are back. I called the um, a technician at the um, at the company that you know at the Tascam uh, company, and they're in California. They're in Montebello, and the guy was like, uh, "Well, I, first I called him, and then he called me back within a few minutes of um, having received my um, my message. I left a message on on the answering machine, and I was surprised to get the message or get a call so quickly." which was awesome, and also the fact that, I mean, we're both in California. No, I called very near 5 p.m., the time when he gets off of work, basically, and and so he was calling to fix the problem, and he was like, um, hey, dude. No, he didn't say, hey, dude, but he was like, dude, um, calling to help you with the issue, and... Uh, Long story short, he he solved it. He was like, you know, it was just the the wire, it was just the uh, the cable that you had, and I just felt so silly. Like, yeah, you're right, it was just the cable, but on my end, because I can, I'm looking at this stuff. I'm looking at the the cable. It 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 isn't. It wasn't the cable. It wasn't the. Uh, it wasn't that the cable is bad. Like, okay, the let me let me say this. All of the cables are good except there's one cable that's bent but even though it's bent it still works all right but i bought a new one because i just didn't want to risk it right well the situation with the new cable is that um the new cable is actually using a gender or an adapter right so the new cable is a usb c to a usb a um, but the MacBook takes the USB-A and not the USB-C, so I have to, you know, put it, I have to put the correct ends together, and then I have to put the adapter on. Well, the adapter was connected directly to the Tascam, this, uh, mixing board. And because that was the situation, it wasn't working. So when I talked with the guy, he was like, here. It's the it's the wire because he got it he got me right because the wires I switched the the wires and I had another wire in there and everything worked fine and then when I switched to the the the, the wire with the gender or with the adapter on it um, 
I made sure to connect the adapter to the MacBook and then the wire worked and then the cable worked. So all of that, all of that, all in all, I learned that um, the adapter needs to be connected to the, what the hell is that, to the MacBook. And then the cable can go all the way out and connect to the, the Tascam. But everything works now. I was panicking. I was like, am I, am I going to have to just give up podcasting altogether? Which I probably should because my podcasts are terrible. <laughs> but hey, now that everything works, I'm back to making terrible podcasts. I say that my podcasts are terrible because it's it's extemporaneous, you know, it's impromptu. I'm, I, I don't have a script. Um, although for the podcast that I am going to present today on this this episode here, this one right here, right here, this one right here, um, I did run through the script uh, one time before, and that was a few days ago when I thought, everything was fine and I thought I was recording audio I thought I was recording audio music and that I could also excuse me record um cell phone calls and but then everything failed because of the wire because of the connection and so um yeah but here we are now the connection works everything is recording and um yeah, so because I did this a couple of days ago, a few days ago now, because I already ran through this uh, podcast, I have some idea, I have a clear idea what I want to say, um, what memories I want to um, retail. So I've done this before. It's just like doing it again, riding a bike, right? Just, you know, everything will come back to you. So I guess I just need to get into it. With no further ado, and take you on a on this musical journey. Um, I will say that in preparation for this, what I did is I created a playlist on uh, Apple, and so with the playlist, I'm just going to play the songs, and then the songs will be in the background. That'll be the soundtrack, and then I'll just be talking over them. Um. I'm Larry Wiggs. This is the IC109 podcast. You're at 109 right now. And uh, we're about to get into this. La -dee -da -dee -da. I'm going to put the phone on airplane mode so there are no distractions. Here we go. Hey guys, welcome to the IC109 Podcast. I'm Larry Wiggs, your host. I want to take you on a musical journey. Talk about music and how I experienced it throughout my life. We're listening to the smooth sounds of the temptations in the background. When I was a kid, I grew up on soul music mostly. Because my dad is a, a soul music lover so the temptations were big you know dad i could see dad snapping his fingers 
singing along the songs, you know, and doing this thing. Dad still likes, you know, dancing. Mom and Dad go dancing with their dancing troupe. But these, this music, this song, it's very, it's quintessential Temptations. So I had to bring it, bring it in, you know, to start the show. My dad has a formidable vinyl collection. One that I remember sort of, you know, sort of digging through the crates, but not really. We, he never had any crates. Um, but he had a lot of, uh, well, he still, he still has a lot of uh, records, but he doesn't use them. So I'm, I, I guess I use the past tense. I would look through his record collection and I would look at the album covers and certain album covers, you know, stick out to me like uh, Sly and the Family Stones uh, record, the one where he's wearing like the white suit and he's reclining and his legs kicked up, and uh, the Stevie Wonder record where you see it's a, it's a, it's it's not a painting, but it and it's, it's not a caricature, but it's a it's an artistic rendering an artist rendering of Stevie Wonder and he has beads in his hair, that one. Um, yeah, I don't know the names of those um, those albums. But see, I have these vivid uh, images. I, I recall what those album covers look like because I saw them in my dad's collection. And if I go over to their house now, I could still see those, cause I could still see those records, right? Um, but that's just... That was my experience with vinyl, you know, seeing my dad's collection. And over the years, I, I created a little bit of a collection. I bought a few records. I wanted to be a DJ at one time. And I started growing my collection. So I would get a few records here and there to add to the collection. Um, I never had turntables. Never had the Technics 1200s, SP1200s. Too much, too expensive, right? Couldn't do any of that stuff. But yeah, I was I was raised on the soul music of my dad. You know, my dad even has the the vinyl recording of uh, Malcolm X, the Ballad or the Bullet. He has a vinyl copy of the Last Poets record, whatever the title is. Um, you know. I remember seeing Hugh Masekela records or just the name Hugh Masekela on a record and just being like, who is that? What is that? I never listened to his music, but, you know, salute to Hugh Masekela. Now, we're getting into that, that real good, good James Brown. Um, the memories that I have of James Brown are recent like I was in Japan and James Brown James Brown is popular and is loved in, in Japan so I went to JB's bar JB for James Brown right Japanese dude owns the, the spot and um, I remember sitting at the bar at JB's bar and the owner the proprietor asked me something he said or no he, I think he told me he was like we only play soul R&B. I was like, okay. He was like, none of them white boys or something. 
And I just laughed to myself. I thought, man, this is a trip. But that was a Japanese dude saying that to me. There's this other dive bar in Japan. And uh, the owner, well, the name of the dive bar is, is Goodies. And the owner, is his name is Goody. I met Goody. And when I met him, I told him I was from Los Angeles. And he said to me, do you know Crenshaw? I was like, of course I know Crenshaw, man. Well, something that I didn't know, you know, many years ago is that Crenshaw has a, a very storied history. There are different waves of communities who settled in Los Angeles, and uh, the Japanese are, are one group uh, who settled along Crenshaw. Even to this day, if you go to Crenshaw, you can see the remnants of the Japanese influence. Do a little research, do a little, you know, detective work, and it, it's, it, I mean, you don't even have to do any detective work. You can literally see it if you know what to look for. All of the evidence, the remnants are, are still there. The Japanese left their imprint. There's the, the Starbucks on Crenshaw, down the ways from Earl's. That Starbucks was once a bowling alley owned and operated by uh, Japanese but they were very welcoming to other groups and very inclusive, which is a powerful, a powerful, uh, you know, ideal. When so much of Los Angeles is segregated, you know, pockets of LA are very welcoming and embracing of other cultures. It's like, wow, that part, that part. Yeah, so James Brown. James Brown is funk, James Brown is dope, and James Brown has been sampled by numerous hip-hop artists, of course, because James Brown is just so funky, just so hot, right? So, I'm sure Dad has some James Brown in his uh, collection. There, uh, there aren't any album covers that stick out in my mind, but but this music, oh yeah, these songs, these these lyrics, they, they very much stick out in my mind, for sure. You dig? So, what I want to tell you about is my love-hate relationship with gangster rap. That's where we're going to go next. And I'm, I'm going to slowly lead into that. Um, see, the love-hate thing is like, my mom and dad raised me to be uh, a respectable young man. So they sent my sister and I to um, you know, private schools to get good educations. And it was imperative that I not get into mischievous things. I did get suspended one time from school. But that's the extent of my bad behavior. I won't get into the details of that suspension, but I never was suspended other than that, that one little hiccup along my you know, academic career and upbringing. Um, but anyway, the respectability politics I was navigating the terrain and uh, just being a good student you know a good a good little boy a good little Larry and um, my mom would tell me when I listened to gangster rap or when I listened to yeah I think it was gangster rap that I listened to she told me you are what you consume be careful what you what you consume you know so hey there we go you're at 109 right now little station identification and so I 
you know, for me, the type of music that I listened to was, um, I guess, clean music. It was, it was very PG-13, G-rated or what have you, as, as close to it as possible. But as I was growing up, things changed a little bit. Now, the Fresh Prince, you know, DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince are kind of that that PG-13, you know, rap, you know, rap group that I was listening to first. And Summertime is one is that hit, you know, that really broke me into hip-hop. And I was coming of age, so I had uh, a copy of the cassette tape of Summertime in my pocket. But see, I had that love-hate relationship with gangster rap because in my, let's say in my left pocket I had Summertime, I had Home Base, the, the title album, title of the album is Home Base from DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. In my left pocket, but on my right pocket, I had the soundtrack to Boys in the Hood. And my favorite song was, um, what's that song? It's, um, Growing Up in the Hood by M- MC8 and Compton's Most Wanted. And um, so there I was, already straddling two different worlds. I remember one one visit to Compton when I went to my Auntie Vivian's house. My cousins, Curtis and Calvin, were in the back room and they, they beckoned me back there. They said, Larry, come on back here. And I was like, what's up? So they brought me to the back, they had a radio, and they said, we're going to play some music for you. I said, okay. And they played Ice Cube's Gangsta's Fairy Tale for me. And I'm going to turn this down. Little boys and girls, you all know me. Come sit on the lap of ICE and let me tell you a story or two. About a punk ass I knew named Jack. He wasn't that nimble, wasn't that quick. Jumped over the candlestick and burnt his, you know. See, I'm even muting myself the way that I would if I were, you know, in middle school. It's kind of unnecessary these days, but I still haven't lost that, you know. So that's what I was listening to back there with cousins uh, Carlos, not Carlos, but um, shout out to my cousin Carlos. Um, but I wasn't, I was with uh, Curtis and Calvin. My mind was blown when I heard Ice Cube's lyrics, when I heard that beat, when I heard all of that. A nursery rhyme, but a gangster, a gangsterized nursery rhyme. Oh man, that was something else. And I was intrigued. I was further intrigued. And I think my, my gangsterism was stoked. And so from that from that moment in there in the back room with them, I was like, I want to hear some more gangsta-ish. <laughs> That's what I was about. Can I hear some more gangsta-ish? Let me get some more of that. Where's that ice cube? And then there was, you know, DJ Quick. And even though Quick, you know, Quick very much downplayed the gang activity, I mean the, the the interview he had with D Barnes on Pump It Up, he even said he was like, Man, there's only some, you know, some gangster activity. That's what he said. He was like, There's only this some he was like, Yeah, I got this one song called Loked Out Hood. There's some kind of crazy activity. Those 
I'm paraphrasing, but Quick said that in the interview. So when I started listening to Quick, Quick eased me into the gangsterism because it was more of his music musicianship that I was attracted to, like those smooth beats and all. But but Quick was still a gangster. So there I was, again, straddling the gangster and the, the PG-13. Oh, here we go. This is what I'm talking about. This, this is that gangster-ish. I was I was I was entranced with this hard stuff but but at the same time at the same time that I could appreciate gangster rap I was extremely afraid of the gangsterism of the gangster element and I was growing up in the 1990s you know young middle schooler you know started high school in 94 so I'm getting this I'm getting this barrage of graphic imagery that these artists have have written in their lyrics and it's jarring I, I've never seen gangster activity really well a hard time but will escape sometimes I wonder but it just seems that the hook took me under my tip to keep harassing Lock me up because I keep on blasting Community trying to shut me out Money keeps flowing and I got much clout This is like my favorite verse And the last verse Eager to pill a cap I set up a trap and put your foot to a nap Cause I grew up fast on the wrong side of the law So watch me take two to your jaw all right. So the imagery, what they were talking about, it's harsh, it's sad. During the 90s, we lost so many black lives to gang violence that, you know, Los Angeles streets were extremely, an extremely scary place for me. Extremely scary. Um, and so... I had the music soundtrack to paint the pictures for me because my life was not, I wasn't close to the gangster experience. I had a cousin who was, I had a, a cousin, male, he was, an, he's, oh, he was older than me. Male was killed when he was 16 years old in a gunfight in Watts. And so I knew the reality very well because I had a cousin who I had lost to gun, to gang violence. So it was a very scary thing, this gangster stuff. So being mindful of, you know, hand signs, gang signs, the colors that you wear, the shoelace colors you wore, the, the hats you wear in Los Angeles, this was very much... You know, in my frontal lobe, really what I was thinking about, like, oh, be careful. But I still love the funky beats that they created from sampling all of the funk and the soul artists from yesteryear, from those generations, you know, previously. It's genius. It's also very dangerous. So I can flush the rock Freeze Freeze I heard a shout at my show Yo I guess I got no clout But it's murder one and I'm the victim Damn that ain't good Growing up in the hood 
yeah, so, um, it was, it was, my, my focus, before I continue with that statement, I just want to go to the samples in this song, KRS-One, and then a sample of Compton's Most Wanted, another song, like, I didn't know that was KRS-One until many years later, but what I was going to say, I think I forgot what I was going to say, no, 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 I was navigating respectability politics and the terrain, and so I was so far removed from the gangster lifestyle that um, my focus was only on getting, you know, decent grades, getting my education, and going off to college. So I wasn't in the streets wilding and all that. I went to a few house parties here and there, but yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't turning up. I wasn't turning up at all. But DJ Quick, man, DJ Quick was, is, was and still is my favorite because for all of the gangster-ish that he had to endure throughout his lifetime, I always looked at him, read his articles whenever albums were released. I always looked, followed his career and I always cheered him on like, man, Quick is rising above all the BS. And there was a tremendous amount of BS from, you know, the death row days to, you know, a car accident that he was in to, um, you know, just a myriad of uh, experiences that he's talked about in his interviews and I've learned about through him. But he came from Compton and, and he was talking about, you know, places getting shot up and having to run, you know, for cover and... That's a realer experience than me. I was going home, going home and going to sleep in, in my bed at night, not worrying about much. And Quick is dodging bullets in Compton and, and fighting people and getting beat up or a lot of, lot of things. And then losing homies and stuff like that. So... So anytime I read an article about DJ Quick, about him overcoming the odds and him releasing new music and, and his career blooming, blossoming, I was always riding for him, like rooting for him, go quick, go, go, go quick. Especially because he, you know, tried to stay on a, uh, a positive kick, on a positive note. I mean, he's still on a positive note. He's very, very, very cool to listen to um, DJ Quick. He's funny, smart, yeah, genius, you know? So I've always been riding with Quick. Um, but again, gangsterism versus, you know, that PG-13, that, that G-rated stuff. Because even DJ Quick, I remember when I was in sixth grade and I had DJ Quick's cassette tape in my pocket uh, on one visit to uh, my old elementary school. And I met my sixth grade teacher... Mrs. Shirley Clisby and she was talking about DJ Quick. She was like, and there's this song that this guy has made and it's awful and it's terrible. And I had the tape in my pocket and I said, oh, are you talking about this tape by DJ Quick? And she said, oh, you shouldn't have that. And I had disappointed Mrs. Uh, Clisby because I had, I was listening to DJ Quick and I had that tape. And so, you know, 
respectability politics, respectability terrain. I had to navigate it. And I, it was a love-hate relationship because I wanted to be the, the good guy, but I also liked that gangster stuff. So, I remember turning the audio down whenever a curse word was uttered. You couldn't, you couldn't just play the whole song through and through with all of the curse words, no. You had to turn it down. Your mom or your dad, your grandparents, couldn't let them know what you were listening to. I even introduced my cousins to DJ Quick and Second to None, to their music. And same thing, when we got to their house, we they were laughing when they heard the real, when they heard the real lyric, and then we, we would turn it down right before a curse word. We got really good at that, you know? We knew when those curse words were coming, so we just turned it down, and then that just took too much of the fun out of it, though. Too much of the fun out of it, because you have to sit there next to the volume knob and that was just ridiculous. But we moved on. We got older. And uh, the curse words. I mean, we still we still play. We still navigate a, a respectability terrain where we have to be and show ourselves in public as respectable when, when we know we can get down and dirty. Not too much, though. Not too much. But, I mean, on average, you know... The down and dirty I get down on is, is is just whatever. It's just like it's natural. It's it's easy. It's what anybody would would get down and do. Have a little drink, a little sippy sip of this, you know. That's what I'm talking about. My little little puff over here or there on one on, on one of these things, a cigar or something other than that, herbal, you know, thingamajig. But nothing overboard. Nothing overboard at all. You know, keep it all respectable. That's where I am. Moderate, I suppose. And just when you started, was over. But, oh. You know, when I fell in love with DJ Quick's music, it was 91. And a lot of my attention I had to place, a lot of my focus I had to place on DJ Quick because my peers were DJ Quick fans. DJ Quick, High C, Second to None, AMG. The, the 304 Posse, as they called themselves, we were we were attracted to them like a moth to a flame. And so we would rap these lyrics, and it was a, it was camaraderie, it was bonding. We bonded over this music. Think looking back on it, we could not relate to anything DJ Quick second and high I personally could not relate I mean their lyrics are full of you know references to sex and I wasn't having sex not at that age but they say uh, America is a highly sexualized uh, society and, and to that end I, I think that my experience is uh, indicative of that because the music we listened to was highly sexualized DJ Quick second and none High C A M G. They those are all examples of yeah. Highly sexualized lyrically lyrical content. You know, artists. Um, but yeah, it was very much it was very much a part of my middle school journey. And um, and DJ Quick released his album, Quick is the name, I think in ninety one, and then he released this song and this record, way too funky. 
The name of this song is America's Most Complete Artist, but the name of the album is way too funky. He released it like the year after, 1992. And for me, it seemed like a very short amount of time. Like, oh wow, we got one record from him. Here goes another one. Okay. I don't know where I got my money from. I think I was doing chores for my aunt, my auntie Dee Dee. We would clean up her house and then she'd give us a little bit of money, kick us down a few bucks for doing house chores or whatever. Well, because he released the albums with so little time between them, just one year, then that's what I came to expect, you know, a year at most two years uh, between albums. So when that second record came and I bought it, I was excited and I figured, all right, in two years, we're gonna get another quick record. But it took him three years for the next record to come out. And for the next record to come out after three years, that was just a tremendously, a tremendously long period of time. I remember waiting for that record and just being like, I was so happy to have received the record, to have gotten a copy of it, but I was also like, man, he took three years to do this. In the past, it's only taken him one or two years, and he took an extra year. It's like, man, that's, that's just too much time. But we moved away from the gangsterism when Diggable Planets came on the scene. And Diggable Planets ushered in a new, a new vibe because it was all jazz based. DJ Quick, DJ Quick is like funk, rhythm and blues, but Diggable Planets, they're jazz, jazzy, cool, laid back. I could relate to DJ Quick's lyrics because he's from the West Coast. But the Diggable Planets, I couldn't relate to them immediately, directly, because they were from the East Coast, and they were talking about things I hadn't been exposed to. I'm still, I'm still really just like impressed with and, and, and vibing with the Diggable Planets because of the messages, the messages in their music. I'm, I'm, I, I just realized, you know, what they're talking about. And we're now 31 years removed from the release of their their first debut album. But I'm still a fan. I'm still a fan. I'm a, I guess I'm an even uh, a deeper fan because I learned what they're talking about and, and I have an appreciation for the ideals that they're sharing and and, and I'm, I'm in awe of them because they knew these things so much earlier in life, you know, than I did. Because I'm only now comfortable within my skin, comfortable knowing who I am. You know, these things I'm comfortable with, but they were comfortable with themselves and, and, and with this knowledge years, well before me, you know? And Ladybug Mecca, is nice with her pen. She, her lyrical, her lyrics are incisive. They are, they they are cutting, like, like if people only knew what she has said and what what they are talking about, what the philosophies are that that are embedded in their music, then 
we could have a really interesting conversation over what Diggable Planets is talking about. But, um, Dark Spots and Grip That Little Crotch, Crazy Boogie Sounds, today's the boogie down in the slam. It comes out in our jams to the boogies and the birds. All right, so we're going to skip along here and move through the album. It's good to be here was one heck of an intro to the, to the Diggable Planets, man. They some jazzy motherfuckers. They a little weird, but, but they cool. All right, let's keep it pushing. Let me skip ahead here. Two Pacifics. Really fly, really, really fly stuff. Where I'm from. Oh, DJ Quick sampled uh, this, or used DJ Quick used the same sample. Let's go and find that, shall we? Ain't nothing wrong is the name of the song. Or DJ Quick. Ain't nothing wrong. Let's go back. DJ Quick. Alright, as I'm searching it. Boogie driving rap is life. Where I'm from, where I'm from. Where I'm from. Jupiter. By the pack, where I'm from. We be reading marks. Ain't nothing wrong is the name of the song. Let's find out. There it is. Alright. Ain't Nothing Wrong cons- contains a sample of Ain't Nothing Wrong by KC and the Sunshine Band and La Belle, Lady Marmalade. Split. What cool breezes do. You gotta. Dope. This is just utterly dope. Dope music here. Yeah. But it was this one right here that ushered in Diggable Planets. This, you heard this and you were like, I gotta have this. I'm, this is so cool. I want it. I love it. This is it right here. You dig? Just an excellent song to introduce them. It's their debut single, Introduce the Group. We light the breeze flow straight out of our lids. See, I don't even know exactly what these lyrics are. Of course, I can always go to Rap Genius, but um, still still something that I want I, w- I would like to ask the members of Diggable Planets just to sit down with me so we can go over the lyrics together and just and for me to say so what what were you talking about what did you mean by this and and what are you talking about here and and what's that uh Myrtle and Adolfa at the intersection of Myrtle and Adolfa I don't even I, I tried to look up that intersection 
Myrtle Avenue and Adolfa in uh, online. Matter of fact, I should do that now. Because I tried to do it earlier, a day or two ago, and I was unsuccessful. But now, I'm sitting in front of the computer. Maybe I'll try again while we listen to Ladybug. Man, Cleopatra Jones. And I'm chill like that. 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 I'm chill. Yeah, I wasn't able to find it. I found something on uh, through Google, Kokomo NYC, Gustavus Adolphus Lutheran Church at Gustavus Lutheran Church, yada yada, New York. Let me see, an Adolphus. Let me check out the about where is their address. Nah, it says 22nd Street in New York. I don't know. I'm down like that. I'm black like that. I didn't find it. Anyhow, we zoom like that. We out. So, Diggable Planets, man. I know that I wanted to say more, and I know that I did say more on the other one, but... Uh, can't think of what I wanted to say about Diggable Planets other than they've been on stuff that I'm just getting on now. You dig? And I love it. Jimmy Digging Cats. Skipping that. But this one right here, La Femme Fatale. Oh, yeah. See, this track right here, I'm a young 12 or 13 year old listening to this, and this was in and education in and of itself just this this record alone because he's talking about issues and to have a position to have taken a position at, at such a young age on an issue was very i guess forward thinking it was good it was like man you're a smart little dude you know your stuff i mean i didn't personally take it i didn't personally take a position but i certainly had some ideals and Diggable Planets, you know, Butterfly gave me some ideas to think about. Rather, I don't think he gave me the ideas, but he articulated the ideas that I already had and held, you know, for myself. I could see the, the world a certain way, and I was like, yeah, man. You summed it up nicely in your, in your verse. 
So it's a cold thing, you know. Gotta be pro-choice. A woman should have the right to decide, you know, what to do with her body, not the state. This was another good jam, lovely escapism, you dig? A funky beat for you right here. Appointment at the Fat Clinic. Uh, appointment at the Fat Clinic. F-A-T, fat. But the beat is P-H-A-T, fats. That's funky, man. Real funky stuff. Nickel bags. I didn't even know what a nickel bag was when they were rapping about it. I was like, nickel bags? Nickel bag of funk? Hmm, that's cool. Nickel bag. Okay, nickel bag. Man, I had no idea. None whatsoever. Swoon. <laughs> clueless, man. Just clueless. My buddy Jumani asked me what my favorite Diggable Planet show uh, song was. Before we went to the show, he asked me, what's your favorite song? And I didn't have an answer. But then I started thinking, man, you know, I really love this one right here. This is Black Ego. And if you would ask me before today, I would have said, I do not like jetting. That song, jetting. We jetting uptown. We jetting downtown. We jetting all around. Like, the music on Jeddon kind of, like, rubs me the wrong way. I'm like, I'm not feeling it most of the time. But the lyrics on Jeddon, oh, man, they just, they're, they're biting. They're just cutting incisive. Mecca says, what, 85, what, what did she say? No blue eyes to emulate, she says. Like, ooh, Mecca over here, just like, uh no blue eyes to emulate and here she goes right here opening this song beautifully mm, fire in the west like this one right here is such a smooth one i love listening to black ego off of blowout home so this is one of my favorite songs i didn't have an answer for jumani but this is one of those songs Nothing you could serve could ever ace me, boy. That part. I love, I love Black Ego. Another one that I love off of Blowout Comb is Blowing Down. This is the Bobby Humphrey sample. Ice-T used the same one. Ice-T used it for... What song was that? Ice-T. What's the name of that? New Jack City. This is that New Jack City joint. Ice T. Use this one on now. And then Dog It. Dog It is another favorite from Blowout Comb. Not that all of my favorite Diggable Planet songs are from Blowout Comb. I mean, if I had to choose. A few songs off of Rebirth of, of uh, Refu New Refutation of Time and Space 
their debut album, it would have to be Appointment at a Fat Clint at the Fat Clinic and La, La Femme Fatale and Escapism and What Cool Breezes Do and Red Hot. New York is Red Hot. But, 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 but. I mean, it, it, like, it's all dope. It's all dope. But this one right here, I pop my junk, my junk. I pop my junk, my junk. Like what you want, you want. I pop my junk, my junk. I pop my junk. Dope. And one of the reasons why I took to Diggable Planets, yeah, is because is because they were just so mellow, so cool. But then I also had an infatuation with the the New York style, you know. Every once in a while, pulling one leg up. Rocking Timberland uh, gear, Timberland jackets, and Timberland boots. That was just like, that's what New Yorkers did. So it was like, yo, you got to follow suit. And I did that when I was in high school. I did that a lot. Until 1995 when DJ Quick finally came back. Finally released his third LP after three long years. After three long years, he finally came back with this one right here. And I was like, yeah, finally Quick is back in here. And safe and sound, yeah, Hassan, Cash, and I were rolling around the city listening to safe and sound. It was just bumping it like, ooh. Because Quick's production was just so clean. So, so clean. It was crisp. I mean, it's just clear very excellent you know it's just excellent production and that was the reason why i love quick even though his his content yeah it was it was gangster but the beats were just too much to pass up the beats were so appealing and alluring you had to forgive him for the lyrics you dig so safe and sound was a beautiful time a beautiful record and I was back, back riding with DJ Quick. I shifted back to DJ Quick. You dig? I had my my little respite with Diggable Planets, but now I'm back with DJ Quick. Now, for some reason, in '97, when Wu Tang came back with their what second, second LP or something, um, my buddy Nicholas Perdisic had uh, introduced me to the Wu. He gave me a copy of this record and I was highly impressed with the production of Triumph and Reunited. And this album, the production was so much clearer and for, in my opinion, was so much better than 36 Chambers but that's because of my West Coast sensibilities because I was accustomed to DJ Quick's clarity of, of sound that I couldn't I couldn't take the muddled, you know, muffled, uh, you know, sounds, the gritty grime of the New York, you know, group when I was too accustomed to DJ Quick's sound. So I didn't like 36 Chambers because it didn't sound clear enough for me. There were some standout bangers, of course, of, of course, and I can appreciate it today more than I could back then, but I was strictly on some West Coast-ish. Until 97 when they released this, 
then I had to reconsider my position on the East Coast because by 97, when this was released, we had already lost Pac. And yeah, Biggie was either on his way out or was already gone when this one came out. And it was like, the East Coast has something. We definitely should be paying attention to what the East Coast has to offer. I've always thought of myself as a music lover. However, my budget hasn't always allowed me to express my musicality, my appreciation for all music. And so when it when my budget dictates what I listen to, well, I stuck I stuck to my to my West Coast roots and I, I would buy West Coast artists. I think I bought Drew Down. I I had a copy of Two Shorts record. I had at one time, CMW's records. I don't think I ever listened to E40. I never got into E40. Not until, you know, within the last 10 years did I start listening to E40. No, 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 that's not true. My brother-in-law listened to E40, and he played E40 when we were driving to uh, Las Vegas one year. That was like 05. It was like 02 or 05 when we were driving to Vegas. He was driving. And he was playing, um, what is that? Tell me when to go, tell me when to go, tell me when to go, tell me when to go. Dum, 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 dum. That's when I took a liking to E-40, but I didn't buy his records. I didn't buy E-40. I didn't buy into E-40 at that time. I could appreciate him, but I didn't buy into him at that time. More from the Wu-Tang. But I listened. I listened more and more to uh, Wu-Tang and gave them, you know, more of my attention. I gave East Coast artists more of my attention as uh, hip-hop, excuse me, as uh, high school, you know, faded away. I was in college when I bought Jay-Z's, like, third or fourth record. It was around 1998. Well, DJ Quick actually released this record and so I was back on quick you know in 98 I was like yo again it took quick three years so I had enough time in between to figure it out and to listen to other artists and in 98 I was listening to quick I was quite pleased quite happy to be you know rocking with quick again because he was repping for the west coast once again so that was dope and then I think it was 99 when Jay released this, and this was the first record, the first tape that I bought from Jay-Z, and I was given, I was, I was becoming more aware of what all was out there, and I was like, ooh, I like this, yeah, uh, dope. So once I bought this record and took a liking to a number of the songs, that's when I gave Jay-Z a, a shot because I hadn't listened to his music before. I was a latecomer to Jay-Z. And um, I had to go back and do some research. So I went and I got copies of his original, his first, his debut records. And I listened to those and I took a liking to his music. It took me a long time though. Oh, and that's just my imagination going back. 
So I had I had all the music on uh, repeat. So that's why we went back. But that's it. That's all I can say about that musical journey. That's that tells you a lot about you know my musical tastes, my musical upbringing. Yeah. My my budget. I guess the to review, the the takeaways are, you know, my musical tastes were really, you know, limited to my budget. Oftentimes I didn't have any money. Might have had ten twenty dollars to spend. Might have bought a, a tape or a CD for ten bucks and might have eaten with the other ten or something like that, until I got some more money. And I was only gonna buy one tape. I used to buy my music at the warehouse, especially the warehouse at uh, Rodeo and La Brea. And Nipsey even rapped about that location in the song 60th Street, which I think is fascinating because uh, when you rap about like physical locations that are real to us, like that does something. It's like, it, like even though he's deceased, but he's talking about some place that we shared you know, that we both knew in, in real time and space, then that's, that's special, you know. Um, anyhow, I went to that warehouse and I would buy CDs, I would buy tapes, and, well, mostly I would buy CDs. I'd take them home, I would buy, yes, 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 excuse me, let me go back. I will buy CDs and tapes. I would buy blank tapes and I would buy the music CDs that I wanted to listen to or own. I'd go home, play the CDs, and record the music onto cassette tapes. And then I would go back to the warehouse and tell them, give them a BS reason why I didn't want to um, keep the CD. You know, oh, no, I didn't like the music. Nah, I'm cool. You know, here, here you go. Take this back. Give me my money back. And I had the music on a cassette tape, and I was riding around the city listening to the music. <laughs> Loving the music, you know. That was the hustle. But then the other hustle was playing music off of the uh, radio as well. Or rather, taping, recording music off of the radios. That was the other thing that we did. Or rather, that I did. So, I guess that's it. That's my musical journey. I wanted to document that, talk about it. I'm sure there are some details that I missed. Um, De La Soul. Buddy. That was a phenomenal video. And... Um, a great song, The Jungle Brothers, Kwame, EPMD. I never bought an EPMD record. I remember being at the at Nipsey's Slauson. I mean, Nipsey owns it now, but at that Slauson Crenshaw Slauson uh, strip mall right in there, I was at. I was getting my hair cut at the barber shop. I remember seeing an EPMD cassette tape sitting on the counter, sitting on the the counter as I was as I was getting my hair cut. I went over there once or twice. Maybe more than once. I probably went over there for a haircut once. I went over there once for maybe some quick and split ice cream at you know that Master Burger. Even was it always Master Burgers? I don't think so. I think it was quick and split at some point. That's where I went over there and got some ice cream one time or something like that. Um music I'm into all sorts of music these days. Susana Baca has a beautiful voice. She's Peruvian, Afro-Peruvian, and that's and that's that. That's all that there is to it. 
Let me see if I can play us out. No, I'm not going to play us out. Here we go. I see 10-9. I'm out. You're at 109 right now.